0: Yo, there are many events coming up in the world of sports.
1: It'd be great to be in attendance for such.
0: Where can we get tickets? SeatGeek.
1: You see, SeatGeek is an app that can help you find the best seats with the best deals. SeatGeek shows you different tickets available with green being the best deals and red not being the hot deals. The best part is it shows you where you'll be sitting at the event. If you use the code SPORTSMECCA, you could get $20 off your first purchase.
0: Get your seat at SeatGeek today. Could it be you calling me down, 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 down? My foolish heart turns out to be All that I am is all that you see.
2: You don't need no.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. Today, I have the special opportunity to speak with Bryna Jones and KC Jones III. They're the children of the late, great Boston Celtics coach and player, KC Jones. Bryna and KC, thank you so much for coming on today. I appreciate the time.
2: Sure, pleasure. our, Our
0: pleasure. Yeah, so since... Both of you guys are on. It'll be a pretty, you know, collaborative podcast just to get really both your guys's, you know, opinions and and, and stories um, about your father. You know, and w- with that said, we'll start with brina Really to start, um, you, you've collected a lot of photos, memorabilia of, of your father. I believe you have about twenty to twenty five boxes where you've just been able to save personal, you know, materials. What, what kind of started that process of collecting that and you know and why did you kind of move to that direction
2: well the best part about it is I didn't collect any of it it was my stepmom so my stepmother over the years well my mom did the first portion because there was things in there from when mom and dad were together so she collected that and when mom and dad divorced mom gave it to dad and so my stepmom Ellen she kept all of it preserved she she kept everything organized and she was the one that kept all the boxes in order and was very detailed of what was in each box. So while we were out doing our thing, she she was collecting it while dad was going through his Alzheimer's. And she said, one of these days, you know, when when your dad passed, we're going to make sure we, we give you all of this memorabilia back. And we're like, that's that's a blessing. So she she kept on collecting and collecting. And then when dad did pass, Casey, uh, thankful enough, lived near her, so she would give him ten boxes at a time, to or you know I don't know it's ten or six or he, she would give him several boxes at a time. He'll drive them down to Maryland because he's like five hours, six hours to a, uh, away from us. So all the credit goes to my mom and my stepmom for mm-hmm. collecting it. I'm just sharing it because I want people to know dad, yep. like we know dad, right. and to see what's behind the, you know, what it's like to be in the NBA side.
0: Right. You, know, you mentioned biggest goal for you is just to really share that information. You know, you have a social media presence on Instagram and on Twitter. What led you to creating those uh, Twitter and Instagram accounts? And and what was kind of your inspiration
2: for that? Well, when I first started on Twitter, I was, I'm a big psycho from the TV show Psych on USA Network. So I started Twitter on that and then started doing TV fandoms, Mandalorian and Lethal Weapon and all those guys. Uh, when I came out of, from Texas, I started talking to people about dad, which I hardly ever did. I was just, we grew up not boasting about dad. We were just very quiet like dad was. And so a friend of ours, um, Lisa in Kenoki, she asked us, she goes, well, you should do something with your father's legacy or or write a book or do something because you guys have stories to tell. So I said, well, that's a good idea. And so I, I started talking to people on Twitter and Frosty bias, Larry Birds mullet, and those guys started chiming in. I was like, oh, there's people that actually know of Dad or, or fans. And so that's what started me sharing more on Twitter. And then I started sharing it on Instagram. And then when Dad passed, it just changed my whole profile from TV fandoms to Dad.
0: What are the kind of your favorite, you know memorabilia mementos that you've kind of looked over? that were part of, of your father's playing days or just legacy that you like to look through or just share on social media?
2: My favorite thing is his rings. And I always tell people, if you don't have them, we we put them off site. (laughs) But when I do get them, I try to take pictures of them so people can see it. Cause not a lot of folks have a chance to see an an NBA championship ring up close or his gold medal or his, like his, um, Hall of Fame ring or his jackets so I like to share that with people because many people don't have access to that Mm -hmm. and so I love sharing that I love sharing his um, photos he has really good photos from when he retired as a player all the way through when he was with the Washington Bullets when he was with the Conquistadors in San Diego when he was with the Lakers in 72 so you know I love sharing that and I also the last thing I love is sharing his personal stuff like his watch that he used to wear every day, his his uh, tie clips, his his letterhead. All that. <laughs> I think that's cool because it's like an everything they think for dads.
0: You know, Casey passed away two years ago. You know, what was at the start when you started to look through the boxes and and really everything that you've collected over the years, you know, what what type of emotions were you thinking of and, and came to your mind when you were looking through that and then you know once you started to share it on
2: social media when that first passed we already had some of the boxes that Casey brought down and by the time dad um, passed we had all of them and we looked at, together through all of them very quickly as a family when my mom and all of my siblings all Casey and my siblings and um, those emotions were pretty raw um, but when when I started having the idea of sharing them It was more of a, there was a time period where I was away from dad when he was from the onset of his Alzheimer's in 2009 to 2020, essentially, I was away, I was in Texas and I was in my own, having my own issues. So I stayed away. So when I came back and I got to see dad um, in his last stages, um, I realized how much I missed out of his illness. And then it made me remember all the wonderful times that I was with him and how I viewed growing up. As a NBA kid back in the day, I used to look at it kind of negatively, but after seeing him and talking to my family and being back with my family, I realized what a blessing it was, and I wanted to share that.
0: So before we really, you know, transition into kind of the the meat and you know talk really about Casey Jones, the player and the coach, you know, both of you guys are Celtics fans. You support the Celtics. You know what what is your relationship with the team today, and you know you're, you're following. Um, of the of the team right now, and also your thoughts on how they're doing.
2: For me, um, when I started, I had to learn all the new guys because I would follow them from a, a distance uh, when Dad was in his illness, and I was kind of away from everybody. But as I started talking about Dad, and I started watching the players, I wanted to see how they, how this team reacted to being a Celtic. Because to me, the mystique is you're going, you're playing for a team that has a history of being championship winners. Not just winners, not just their um, area, but the whole shebang multiple times with Hall of Famers all over the place. So I like to see how these guys' mindsets work and how they play. And I'm so happy that this team this year, who started off shaky, they stuck together, they stuck it through, they started playing defense like they should be, which is awesome. They started backing each other up and and getting that old feeling again. So I love that. And so I'm, I'm cheering for them all. I was always cheering from them from the beginning. But it's so nice to see them gut it out, you know, and fight it out.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I think um, Coach Yu is doing a fantastic job with the players now. My closest affiliation with the Celtics was uh, in the 80s when I was uh, I was going to college playing basketball. And my, uh, my father was living in Wellesley at the time. So I got to see him plenty of times and I got to, uh, uh, to see him uh, with the Celtics practicing and, and everything else. So, but, uh, but now it's, it's, you know, it's taken its turns ups and downs, but I think what coach U was trying to do with the team now is, is, uh, is as Brian mentioned, it's, it's like a, a focus back to uh, the roots of, of the Celtics and who they really are. You know, they're, they're a team, they're a strong team, they're a defensive team um, and they stick it out all the way to the end. So mm-hmm. I certainly like to see them go as far as they can. Uh, it'll be great to see them uh, back in the top top rankings and see them in playoff uh, uh, series.
0: You know, Casey Jones was such a instrumental part of of the Celtics when he was playing. Obviously, you know they haven't won a championship yet together, but you know Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart have really have developed into this core of the Celtics, and Tatum especially has really grown into an all star superstar caliber player. So you know, what's your Thoughts on his development and Brina, you know, you mentioned about becoming that championship player, that championship winner is ingrained in the Celtics culture. You know, how do you think Tatum has really,
2: you know, handled that? I think he's, he's, he's a very classy kid. I love how, I love how talent he's just naturally talented and I love that he just flows in his talent. And I loved how he, he took responsibility as, you know, as part of the team earlier on this year, when they were, you know, having struggles, but he was still a high scorer. That was not a problem. But I loved how they came together as a team because of the Celtics, that's the only way you win. You don't win individually. Larry Bird didn't win by himself. And he he knows that he he was there was multiple people all together, Cedric Maxwell, Kevin McHale, you know, Tony, all of those guys won together. And so that's how I love how Jason Tatum came and with everybody else, they came together and stuck together. And they play it off each other. They, they started assisting each other. They started uh, cheering each other on, getting that fire back with the defense. Um, and I think that Jason Tatum, is, is, he's going to be one of those guys in the rafters eventually. I really do believe that he will be there.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I love that tandem of uh, Jalen, uh, Jalen Brown as well. And, and uh, Al Hofford bringing a huge big man presence. Um, you know, it's it may not be the big threes of of old, but it's 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 a, a good start and it's uh, something that's certainly developing and, and maturing. So I'm uh, just hoping that it continues and uh, and you can't see uh, uh, whether it's a Eastern division or or, or the uh, championship itself uh, among the, the entire team and what they bring to the table. So we're hoping that that can happen if it's not this year, maybe next year, but uh, we're getting there soon enough.
0: Yeah, they've definitely, you know, they had a very difficult start and it was, it wasn't the best, you know, maybe 40 or 40 ish games of Ime Udoka's coaching career in in Boston. But lately, you know, the past month and a half, like you mentioned, Brina, the defense is now one of the best in the NBA. They've really have elevated their style and it's, it's really tough to score on them. And, you know, Robert Williams has provided just a great presence. Um, so it'll be, you know, interesting to see how far they can go this year, but, you know, moving forward to now talking about Casey Jones, both of your uh, guys's father, this is once again, I'll be talking to you guys can both provide your inputs. Um, you know, as I've mentioned before, you know, Casey Jones, Had just an illustrious basketball career, winning eight championships as a player for the Celtics, two championships as a coach for both of you guys. You know, what was it like growing up in that environment of of him having just a constantly busy schedule
2: and and just dedicating his life to basketball? Well, for for me, that's the part where I was I was bitter (laughs) because um, I wanted a dad that was there at six o'clock at night, like everybody else's dad. I wanted a dad that was there every day, wasn't going to be gone for three weeks at a time to go on the road and then come back and then go on the road. And so I, I, I grew up a little bit bitter. And, uh, but, um, as I got older, I started appreciating with the help of many other people, they started appreciating the sacrifice that dad did for his family. I mean, he was playing because he loved the that was the job provided. He was drafted to the Celtics. He was also drafted to the LA Rams. And and when he got hurt on the Rams and they wanted him to play injured, he was like, I can't support my family this way. So he quit and he went to the Celtics. And the the sacrifice that they, that him and the other players and the coaches do is missing, they miss out on births. You know, they they have to play where we're, you know, their wife is giving birth. They they have to miss out on birthdays, Christmas, you know, Easter and all the holidays where most kids have their family there. So I was bitter for a while, but thankfully I had so many people in my life, including my siblings, that realized what the sacrifice that these guys had to do for their job. And of course, not like military sacrifice, but just being away from their family for such long periods of time. And what they're pounding on their bodies, what they have to go through, the public um outcries for social injustice at the time and dad was a coach a player too when he was a coach and and um things like that you know i i'm i'm just grateful that he is my father i'm grateful to have that experience and and i and that's another part that i want to share with people is support your parents i don't know what whatever job they're in support them because they're sacrificing something just to have you
1: yeah and uh, brian and i have a uh uh, an interesting perspective on it because we're we're the ones that played uh, in the family she she played at university of Hawaii, I played at, at bentley u and so we had the, the the casey jones stigma sort of right there on us and mm-hmm. um and a lot of times we didn't we didn't bring that in with us it was just sort of expected and and other folks kind of did the, the old comparison kind of thing maybe more so with me than with brian but the fact is brian is still part of that basketball stock so um so there was a a lot of expectation um, of performing to that level, but uh, we were still allowed to be our own people. He didn't take us up to the playground at four in the morning and drill us to death. It was, you know, do whatever you need to do. If, if basketball is what you want to do, then, then so be it. So uh, so we, we had a, a pretty unique experience um, with uh, Casey Jones being our father, but overall it was a great experience, especially in our adult years, because it's a, it's a great human interest story that we can touch base with people like yourself and say how things were and, and uh, what we appreciate out of it. And uh, some of the things that people may not know. So, uh, so it's, it, it, it's hard for us when we were kids, obviously, cause yeah, you want to have dad there for Christmas, but uh, like any other kid, but um, when we started to mature and grow, we see things and like, Oh yeah, well, this is part of the job. This is what you got to do. Uh, support family. And he, you know, this is the, uh, the business that he's in—it uh, is a business. Uh, it, it's not just a game, but uh, you gotta do the best you can while you're in it. Uh, so yeah, it was—it um, was interesting, it, but uh, overall, uh, it was it was fantastic, and we appreciate every moment of it.
0: Yeah, you mentioned a good point of it, as much as. You know, everyone loves to watch the NBA and love and love to watch their players on their respective teams. It is a business. You know, what at what point did both of you realize that that's what it is? And, you know, were there moments in your father's coaching or playing career that you were like, man, like, yeah, this is business. And, you know, you kind of felt a little bit different.
2: I figured out it was his job, his business when I was like uh, seven years old and that's when dad was the Lakers because I distinctly remember being at practice and Will Chamberlain was practicing and I told him that he ran too slow and so he goes oh he said well let's race so he took me on the baseline and me and Will Chamberlain raced down the baseline and of course he blew by me you know and I was like oh okay you're not too slow but at that time I realized oh you know this is dad's co-workers and even though dad's working for the Lakers, we're in the enemy's camp because we're Celtics people. So I remember at seven years old, that's when it clicked that that's his job, but we're supposed to be with the Celtics. When I got older, like around when dad was with the Bullets, Washington Bullets, it really said in that this is his job. It It was something that was steady in my mind. And so that's when it really hit in. But when we went back to the Celtics, when we were back in Andover and when he was assistant coach and head coach, it felt like, okay, we're back home we're back with who he is supposed to be with the celtics so I sort of felt home and business at the same time
1: yeah same with me i remember a, a discussion i had with my father and because uh, i saw the um, the fun parts i saw that the guys having a good time mm-hmm. practice and the shoot arounds and everything else and and i had a conversation with him i said it's you know what's the nba like and and he said it's not a glamour gig it's definitely a business and and that's when i really sat back and said well do I want to have a basketball as a career or do I want to have it uh, just enjoy it when I can play it during, during my school years? Uh, so I made a decision after like right going into junior college, I, I enjoyed playing because it was fun and not necessarily want to make it a career per se, if there was an opportunity to do that. So, uh, so I kind of went towards, I'm going to hit the books, hit the schoolwork and everything else. And then, so by the time I hit, uh, I went to college, and I think it was my junior year, I had a chance to go to the, uh, the Celtics uh, basketball rookie camp in the Millbrook, uh, Mass. And that's when I realized, I said to myself, I'm so glad I made that decision years ago because, yeah, this is definitely uh, uh, tough to maintain and if you're playing at a, a rigorous schedule. It, uh, it can certainly wear on you. So, uh, uh, so that just helped solidify the decision I made. I never looked back.
0: You know, you've obviously watched him win championships as a coach and as a player, you know, kind of walk me through what it felt like, you know, in the locker room and just seeing him actually win those high level games and, and just become the champion that he was. And then also how he carried himself
2: in those moments. You know, how did that translate for you guys? Well, I remember when they won the, the 81 championship because I was there. I remember that one because they were in high school or junior high. I was in junior high, I think. I was in Andover, either way. But um, I just remember, thank God, because I, I saw it first as his job. Oh, okay, good. You know, as assistant coach, they won. That means he'll be back again next year. He'll, you know, he'll still be here. So I I first saw it as a, his career continuing. And then I thought thought it as elation for the Celtics and for the city of Boston. When he was head coach, I felt even bo- more excited because it's more like, solidifying that he's an excellent coach solidifying he's he should be the number one coach you know that kind of thing. solidifying his his um talent you know so that's how I saw it when he won and dad was so laid back I mean he's just so and by that time in 84 I was in Hawaii so I was watching it from my dorm room and, and you know I, I would talk to him and call him but it just I felt very happy for him and proud of him to saying, Hey, look, I made it. I'm, I'm actually, I am a real coach. Yes. I'm coaching Larry Bird, but I still have to show strategic, you know, strategy, teamwork and all that kind of stuff. It's not just a gig of here, Larry, do what you want to do and you win. So I just, that's how I, I translated it.
1: Yeah, me too. It was, um, I I look at it from two perspectives. I was, um, uh, I was graduating high school. When he won his first as an assistant, and then uh, in '84, I was uh, junior in uh, college, and and actually had a chance to go down and watch uh, Game Seven. So it was uh, it was very exciting to see that win against a very talented Lakers team mm-hmm. uh, with Pat Riley and, and and the Lakers. So I was just as excited as the fans uh, around me. I just went by myself, just and I sat in stands, and it was great to be part of that um, that uh, Celtic family boston kind of feeling that hey our team won so that was the first thing through my mind and then i was very proud of him uh, as my as my father to to be able to do that uh and and win a championship and uh so i remember I, after all that and, and everybody was sort of drained because they were yelling so so much and everyone was uh, pouring out into the streets and uh just uh, very enthusiastic about about the win i i went back to uh I think I was going to summer school at the time. I went back to college campus and I said, all right, I'll probably meet up with them sometime and we'll just have dinner, you know? So it was all, it was after that it was "All right, good. Now it's that's sort of in the, in the can, you know, we'll get together and say, Hey, good job. And then, and then off to the next, uh, next season. But, uh, yeah, it was my, my first reaction was as a fan, uh, being in Boston and seeing, uh, the Celtics bring a, ch- uh, a championship to the city of Boston.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, you know I'm I'm too young to experience all the championships in the '80s, and you know when they won in 2008, I was still in Kansas City, so I wasn't able to experience that. You guys were able to experience the relationships with the players as well. You know, can you guys speak on, you know, Casey's teammate, for instance, like Bill Russell and the players that he coached? You know, Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale. You know, speak on the impact that they maybe had in your life and just what was it like maybe interacting with those players and just those, those big figures at the time. And you know, what went through your head because you know you guys were still young growing up and here you are, you're seeing these just professional athletes, the guys that are making just millions of dollars. Like how did that feel just to, to witness them in the locker room or, you know, in other areas of, of, of business.
2: I was one and a half years old when he retired as a player, but we always, uh, dad, our relationship with like Uncle Bill, we call him Uncle Bill, Bill Russell, Uncle Sam, Sam Jones, because they were like our uncles. Um, Dad's teammates were, they're all brothers, all of them. Mr. Cousy, everybody, Mr. and all of those guys, Mr. Havlicek, they were like brothers because they went through so much together, social injustice together. They went winning, you know, Boston together. They did all of that together. So, but with um, dad, like dad was roommates with Bill Russell in college. That's a, so they were brothers and bonded then. Then when they went to the Olympics, they were uh, dad and my mom's brother, Carl Kane and Uncle Bill were, were the three that stuck in, in for the Olympics. So they were all the guys, Sam Jones, Willie Knowles, and Bill Russell, Sad Sanders. They were like our uncles. Uh, we, we would stay with their kids. They would stay with us, all that kind of stuff. So they were all uncles. They were like our I never saw them as, oh, my gosh, that's Bill Russell, the number six. So I never saw him that way. I just said, hey, there's Uncle Bill. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I didn't realize the impact of his game until I got older, <laughs> until, I, until I became a player. Then I was like, wow, Uncle Bill. And, and, and then they didn't have ESPN Classics until I was like in my 40s. So I'm 56 now. So so later in life, I got to actually see dad and see Uncle Bill and see Uncle Willie and Uncle. And so when I did see them, I called dad up and said, you're awesome, dad. I can't believe I saw you play. And dad was like, yeah, thank you. You know, like, duh. But since I was so little, I didn't get to experience it with my eyes until then. But it was it was great to interact with as family. With the Laker, with the Larry Bird and those guys, it was more of those are dad's guys and I don't I don't want to mess <laughs> I don't want to mess with them I'd see them in the locker room and stuff like that but I you know, they're they always very cordial hi you know how are you doing very nice but it wasn't the same it wasn't the same interaction now with the Bullets Washington Bullets we had close relationship with Wes Unseld Elvin Hayes and his kids Phil Chenier and their kids but it was not with the Larry Bird and those guys at least I did not <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was um, as we were growing up. So I was too young um, when he retired as a player, but I remember uh, the players like Bill Russell and Sam Jones and, and, and uh, John Havlicek and those guys being being like uh, close to family as you as you could, and Red Arbeck being like the father figure of that family kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, uh, as Brian mentioned, going to the uh, the Bullets, which is the Wizards now, but the Washington Bullets. That's when we had a closer bond with them growing up in our in, in junior high, high, high school, and then coming over a lot for cookouts with the family and everything else. So we, we that was a different setting. And uh, then the Celtics was probably the next uh, interaction that we would have, but it, it was kind of, uh, it was limited because we were already in college. Uh, Brian, I believe you're already out in the Hawaii. I got to see it maybe a few uh few of the uh, practices at the Helena college in Brookline where the Celtics practiced. And, but I didn't spend too much time on down the court, but um, great guys, very cordial mm-hmm. guys. Yeah. And, uh, and they're very respectful um, mm-hmm. of uh, Casey and of what he was trying to do uh, with the team and, and get them to where they needed to go. And they appreciate his his experience and in, uh, in winning and championships and, and keeping on the Celtics tradition. So didn't, and not spend much time with the uh, electric, like Kevin Garnett's and uh, those players, uh, I think at that time we were <laughs> we we're so far in our careers we we, did, we didn't have too much of an attachment at that point um, when the Celtics were winning their their, their last championship mm-hmm. um, and and also in the finals with the Lakers. So so that's kind of how the stages went. And uh, but I think our closest was with when he was with the with the uh, Washington Bullets.
0: Mm-hmm. So you know even despite winning, I mean, he, you know, he, he was able to win those championships. You know, there were moments in his coaching career and as a, as a player where there, there was criticism from the media, maybe criticism from fans. And, you know, as players, since you, since you were so close to him, you know, did you guys ever, like, hear, you know, talks about Casey Jones? Like, ah, oh, man, he should have been fired or, you know, stuff like that. Like, <laughs> did, did it affect you guys when you guys were, were growing up? And, you know, how, how just was that
2: dynamic? It was painful for me because I I would hear that especially when we would go to a game and you're sitting and you hear people cussing your father out <laughs> while you're sitting there watching them you're like you know you can't turn around and say anything to them because it'll reflect on him so we were more conscientious conscientious of our behavior that it may if if we be behave badly it'll affect dad so we didn't want anything to come on him from our behavior. And dad would take it in stride. He didn't care what there were, you know, he, he would, he, it would hurt him, but he knew how to push on. You know what I mean? He knew how to, I'm not going to pay attention to this. I'm going to focus on this. My job is to do this. I'm going to stay this way. I get more emotional. As you can tell by how I talk with my hands, I'm more emotional. So when I hear stuff about like, even now on Twitter, uh, I, we have so many wonderful people that are so supportive of dad. But of course, there's going to be those people that are like, oh, there was a couple Lakers fans. man. Oh, your dad's trash. Or who cares about what you think about LeBron? I said, you guys are very protective about LeBron. He's a grown man. He's fine. And I didn't even say anything bad about him. But you guys just get all, you know, for that can handle it. For me, I had a hard time. But I, I just learned how to be quiet. And my Twitter, I can get a little bit more um, vocal now. But mom says, stay, stay nice. So I stay nice. But um, how about with you, Casey? How does it go with you? <laughs>
1: well you know it was kind of part of the gig because i i remember getting a lot of those uh taunts when i was playing i remember a couple of times i had stuff you've been at me so i'm like well that's them uh mm-hmm. i i didn't do the run our test thing go into the stands because i knew i was outnumbered so i was like <laughs> well you just gotta sort of take the hits as they come and then so when i see those things read those things about my dad uh, and, and i think the biggest criticism uh, yeah, you hear the things in the stands when you and where guys are cussing everything else, are like, eh, whatever. And but but when you read things in the papers by the sports writers, mm-hmm. they were extremely critical. Yeah. Uh, very, very critical, mm-hmm. even though he has a 78, 79 winning percentage. And that's just because Boston's just used to having uh, excellent teams, whether it's with the Patriots or the Bruins, and Bruins kind of started off and 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 with the Celtics and, and of course the Red Sox. It, it, they're just so uh, close to those teams uh, and just have a, such a strong emotional bond with those teams. It stems from that. So so a lot of the criticism comes up. And, of course, the biggest criticism was, well, if you have Bird, McHale, uh, Ainge, Parrish, you don't really need KC or KC's just there to, 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 to reap the benefits. But, mm-hmm. but when you have a team like that, you certainly need to have a strong coach to, uh, to deal with uh, that kind of talent. And uh, it, he did not bring a lot of that when the criticism was really strong. I think the, probably the last year he was, he was trying to win a ch- uh, winning the championship when it got very strong. The worst I ever heard of him say, you know, he was just reading the papers. So he's just kind of like, ah, I, I mean, I can't even win right because it was he was winning. But uh, the criticism was he was playing his starters too much or something. Mm-hmm. So uh, so there, so that tells me there's always going to be something no matter how well you do. You add a few more. Notches of how difficult it may be uh, being an African-American as well, but he took it in stride and uh, uh, certainly didn't wear it a lot uh, around the house um, or when I saw him. Uh, We kind of knew that that's part of the gig, just uh, go with the flow and and deal with it. And and that's what kept him sort of uh, eyes on the prize. And at the end of the day, it's it's team, it's it's championship wins or the best record in the league, whatever whatever you're trying to do, and then just go forward.
0: Yeah. As a black head coach in the NBA, did did you guys from fans and from media in Boston, did you guys experience just some very difficult moments that was was sent his way? And, and did you guys, you know, get the brunt of it? And because, you know, this was at the time of the, you know, during the 70s and 80s, um, you know, what experiences did,
2: did you guys have? I did get racial like most of us racial uh just thrown at me, but it was funny because it was outside of the Celtics. It was outside of the sport. It was um, I had some in school in Andover. Um, one of them was from a teacher <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at Andover High, but it had nothing to do with uh the Celtics, which is a blessing, you know. But I always say it as an isolated incident. There's there's pockets of people that just are ignorant and they just have no, especially that teacher, it was a science teacher that said something so derogatory to me. If I've had any sense, I would have gone to to my dad and it would have been on the news because it was just so horrific what he said. But I just take that to these people are just ignorant and there's just a pocket of people. But I had a wonderful, I'm not gonna discount the wonderful group of friends, family friends, uh, high school friends, junior high school friends that I'm still in contact with now for those little pockets of racial issue people. Thankfully, I never had anything regarding any sports fans or any Boston fans or anything about that, but the Celtics, it was just isolated incidences outside of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same with me. It wasn't um, Boston Celtics related. It was all just, just, uh, (laughs) I guess, racism in in general. It was uh, uh, where we lived in the Northern parts of Massachusetts. It was, there weren't a lot of African-Americans at that time when he was coaching. So, uh, and that was something new for that, that community and that environment and that and the schools that we went to. So they expressed it the way they did, as, as kids do. And we knew that, you know, that was going to happen. It was kind of a, an adjustment because uh, we might have experienced it a little bit as kids uh, when we were growing up in Framingham while he was playing. But we didn't really understand it. But when we returned uh, to Massachusetts and he was coaching, uh, it, it was very prevalent. And we knew what was going on when, when things were being said. Uh, so we we dealt with it individually. Our youngest uh, sibling was, uh, she was maybe five or six mm-hmm. at that time. So all of us at, at every uh, mm-hmm. level got it, uh, in, whether it was in high school. it uh, And I kind of knew uh, going back that it, that was going to happen. So uh, to me, it was just like just one of those things uh, and just deal with it. It kind of affects me a little bit more when I got to, to college. And and that's like, you know, we've had it since we were kids. It's like, when is it going to end? It's not. And I remember I had to sit down with, with my dad about it, and I just said because uh, he had to deal with this in the worst possible terms. Um, and I mean, if you think about it, he uh, was after he finished uh, college, and he's now um, trying out or not trying out, but they're they're getting ready for the Olympics uh, in Australia, Melbourne. So the team that he was on with Bill Russell and our uncle uh, Carl Kane, they would uh, go at various cities and states and and sort of uh, compete against the teams there. And uh, so the, the black players had to be ushered through the back when they went to the hotels and, and they had a and seats and everything else. So I knew that my dad had to deal with a lot of in the harshest terms. So I asked him, how did you deal with that? You're going to be representing either your country or you're representing your team and you get this kind of treatment right before you go out and play. And he just said, you know, you just use that to your advantage and and put that into play. Um, and, and try not to look at it as, as a personal attack because there's some people who just are on that, on that side or as Brian mentioned, is there's pockets of people who just have the ignorance and, and it's been you know, uh, part of their, their life. And uh, so that talk helped me get through my college years uh, so that even though you, you get it here and there, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, there's, that, that person has an issue. So let, let that person deal with that. And we still continue on our path.
0: How, you know, impactful was your father, Casey, in the social justice boom when when he was, you know, a coach and a player? And I know he, you know, went to college, at the University of San Francisco along with Bill Russell. You know, did did Bill Russell work alongside him with that and other people that, you know, played in the NBA? Well,
2: that's a good question because, like, when I remember growing up with that and Uncle Bill was very prevalent in, you know – setting up for rights, you know, for African American rights and things like that. And I don't remember dad ever protesting or going out like that, except when, you know, the Celtics when they weren't, I think it was Uncle Sam wasn't able to eat at a diner, it was in Kentucky, or I think it was, and so the, all the Black players left uh, and didn't play, uh, boycotted the game. But um, mom mentioned that Dad was supposed to go on the march. I don't know if it was Martin Luther King. It was one of those marches he was supposed to go when something happened that he couldn't go. But I think that he was, dad is just, he does this quietly, you know what I mean? He would make his stands quietly. If he wasn't prevalent out there like Uncle Bill was, he would would just make his stand quietly. But uh, he showed me how not to, like Casey said earlier, how not to let it affect you personally. You know, it's, it's, it's not your issue. It's that other person's issue. And there are some times where, you know, like with black lives matters, you can go out there for every day and protest. And I'm glad that that happened, but there's still people out there that still don't understand it. So with, um with he I just saw him go through our lives personally, how he, he would do it, but he wasn't as prevalent as uncle Bill going out. And when, when they were in San Francisco, university of San Francisco, I don't know if they did any kind of really protesting casey might be able to say that but i don't remember them doing anything outside of just going to school at that time they they were so wrapped up into their game they're mostly strategizing about their their game at the time but in college i mean in the celtics i think it was more more uncle bill's uh fight for justice than dad's
1: yeah he had a quiet way of, of dealing with that whether it's uh uh, through perseverance on the uh, basketball court um mm-hmm. but certainly supporting uh whatever the event is um and uh and then also you can you can certainly do a lot of protesting but you can also do a lot of support for other african-american um events uh whether it's with camps um with after school uh programs uh so anything that the mayor's office may ask you to do or be part of so and so we're saying that whatever the event or the venue that you want to use, use it to your best ability. And mm-hmm. um, and uh, if it can make a difference, fantastic. And uh, so he did whatever he could, uh, whether it's through his play or through his appearances that he's done, or just uh, visits uh, at the hospital, any of those things. Um, and we also applaud him. Everyone else that's out there doing it doesn't matter from uh, uh, what you do uh, on cyberspace to Black Lives Matters to, uh, to you name it, to fill in the blanks. It's, it's all, as long as you're out there to support uh, and to promote, whether it's unity, equal rights, uh, whether it's diversity, any of those things. And, I, and that's something I carry when I, when I do my work, working in human resources. I just want to make sure there's inclusion. So all those things are very important. And, and that's part of you know, what, what our father did uh, in, in terms of helping out whenever you can if you have a platform to do so
0: yeah very interesting stories and thank you guys you know for 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 providing that insight you know we'll transition into maybe you know the the relationship with with your father you know in the final stages of his life as mentioned earlier in this podcast brena you didn't see your father um for about nine or ten years Mm -hmm. until he developed alzheimer's you know what was that like and did you realize some things about your father that you didn't know about, or did anything come to light about it when you guys had that time apart? Oh, yes. That's
2: an excellent, I'm glad you asked a question so I can answer that. Right before dad had got the Alzheimer's diagnosis, he went to, he would go to Athletes Against Drugs and all these other wonderful uh, golf tournaments to support causes. And the last one I went to before he got diagnosed was the one in, I think it was 2005, 2006 in Chicago. And it was just me and him. And my thing with dad, how I bonded with dad was when we would watch the Cowboys play, Dallas Cowboys, as my favorite team. And he would teach me football, watching the Cowboys. So to this day, I love that team and I love football. And we would always watch uh, basketball together. And we would literally stand up and, you know, they should be doing this and do the plays. And we would we would reenact the plays so sit there and say the coach should have called the a timeout. They should have done this and that. So that's how I bonded. And during that time for that golf tournament, that particular time, we were watching a game in the hotel room ready to go, waiting for us to go for him to tee off. And he said out of the blue, he said, I am so sorry I was not there for you, for your graduation, for, you know, for all those events in your life. And I started crying because, you know, of course, he couldn't go to my high school graduation because of basketball, you know, he was playing. He couldn't go to my college graduation. He couldn't go to my Hall of Fame induction in high school. He, he missed all of these highlights in my life, and and hit him then for him to say it. And so that that to me healed everything. And then by the time he got the diagnosis, I was going through my own. I had some own issues that I'm into depression, so I couldn't think of anybody else except just trying to get through this depression. Unfortunately, it took nine years to get through it, and I thankful for Casey to reach out to me and my sister Holly and all all my siblings were kept on reaching out to me and they said, and Casey and Holly were like, you better come see your father before. If he passes away without you seeing him, you know, you're gonna regret it for the rest of your life. So I'm thankful for them to reach out and they got me over there to see him. And when I saw him in that state, it was 2020 in August. And it made me realize how dad had class all the way to the end. He was, he had Alzheimer's, but he was sitting there with his legs crossed and <laughs> he was just very calm and, you know, just, he was, I was like, wow, dad is still, to me, dad was still dad. He may not have been able to say much, but he, how he carried himself, even through that disease was a, a, remarkable to me. That's the first thing that hit me. Everybody kept on saying, your dad's classy, your dad's classy. Well, to me, I saw it all the way through and I i really see the embodiment of it in him, no matter what he was going through.
0: Yeah. For sure. Um, Casey, you know, what experiences did you have with with your father going to going through Alzheimer's?
1: Well, I was fortunate um, uh, of the family being the closest to him uh, physically because I was uh, I was still working in Massachusetts and he was living in Connecticut. So I got to spend a lot of time with with him, his wife, uh, their son for a lot of years Um, and then I got to go to a lot of these uh, golf tournaments until I noticed that, all right, I think this might be the last one because I I see that change happening after that. It was a lot of visits, uh, to see him, uh, on the weekends. Uh, and it was, it was just really tough and they call it the slow goodbye for a reason. Um, so it was tough to see that, you know, we can have a conversation one day and the next it's barely a conversation. And the next time it's, it's, it's probably not as much, but, uh, but as Brian mentioned, he's, he's still in there, you know, so we we still go up there and there was, it was one, I remember there was one specific point of clarity where where we didn't have the conversation that we used to. And I wasn't sure if he still remember me, but I was there and my, my other siblings were there. My mother, his first wife was there. <clears throat> we all sat around him. And one thing that was big on him was was music. He loved singing. He was a big Frank Sinatra fan. He uh, He knew, a lot of his songs word for word. We were outside on a park bench and we just started singing one of his favorite Sinatra songs and he just went right into it. The same thing like, you know, Tony Bennett had that famous uh, concert where he, you know, he's going through the same thing and he just belts out all these songs like nothing's wrong. And he did that. And uh, then right after that, uh, he said, this is great that we're all here. And that was the first thing I ever heard him speak anything that Lou said before. You know, it's always been phrases. It's always been the same thing over and over again. But when he said he goes, it's just because we're all here. I'm like, wow, this is this is unique. I said, it must be because we're all here, because he's never said anything like that with me before. Uh, and then the last the last year was tough because now we could not see him mm-hmm. uh, due to uh, uh, COVID, so our our visits was few and far between. Uh, and then that's when Brennan was able to come in uh, that last year, and we were very thankful that we all had a chance to see him before he passed. And of course, we weren't there when he passed. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that was probably the most difficult part that that a yeah, lot right. of people had to go through. Uh, mm-hmm. Granted, uh, we were very fortunate that uh, the place took care of him, where he mm-hmm. didn't contract COVID, but it was just his time. You know, we had that time uh, right before uh, he passed on uh, December 25th.
0: Mm-hmm once again, even though it was, it was two years ago, you know, still my condolences f- for that experience. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, since both of you guys were children of of Casey Jones, you know, what's maybe a misconception that maybe people like that have that they're like, Oh, well you were a child of a, of a professional basketball player Coach, you know what? What? What is a Kind of a misconception that you kind of hear and like. Well, that's not really the case.
2: That you play basketball like he does. <laughs> that's the first one. We were good, but dang, you know. <laughs> we were <laughs> not they, that good. <laughs> they immediately. You play. You must play just like your father. No, I I play like myself. You know, and and I thank the Lord. I was, you know, both of us were were excellent. You know, in the but the level that he played at. Uh, that's that's a whole different elevation that we were not on so that's the first misnomer the second one is that he's like six five and I said no dad six one and there was for some reason that people thought he was like super tall and I was like, what else is there but that was a, those are the first main two that would come to, all the way to me you must play your like your dad they were when we were playing I was meant to University of Hawaii at Manoa for a basketball scholarship and so when we would go play, like we played USF, his his school, well, there was a big write-up of me in the paper. Oh, Casey Jones is done. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I started as a freshman. Yeah, it was good, that good. But I still was not at the level of, of my father. So I put a lot of pressure on myself because of that. But um, but then there were some light moments because our the University of Hawaii women's teams, uh, our schedules when we played in California, mastered up by the Celtics. So I'd always see Dad and Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Bob Cousy in our in our hotels. We would stay at the same hotels, and so we would hang out with them too. But again, people would think, so you must hang out with Larry Bird. So no, no, no. We let Larry Bird do his thing. We stay with Dad. <laughs> we hang out with Dad. We don't want to mess up whatever they're working on. But so that's I guess that's the third one that people think that we just hang out with the players all the time or know the players. That was only with the Bullets. That was a you know different time but with the level of those guys we let them do their thing and we just hung with dad
1: yeah so I would say uh, I would agree the first thing was no I don't play like them um (laughs) never reached that level Uh, but I had a good time uh at the level I was able to do I was division two secondly I would say because a lot of guys say I guess you you know yeah you know Larry and and Kevin all that said well no we're not not to that point, you know, they weren't over the house. They think they've, all the cells would come over the house all the time. No, it's, it's not the case. Um, so I had to sort of correct him on that. He says, mm-hmm. no, I, I try not to. They're, they're in their own thing. They got to do their thing. And uh, I think the last thing was that uh, they say that Casey Jones had it easy.
2: Oh, and yeah, yeah.
1: Definitely not the case. No. Oh. <laughs> not the case at all. He did not have it easy. No. He had to fight and scratch for everything. Mm-hmm. from player to coach and then some. Mm-hmm. So uh, so I want to make sure that everybody understands that he did not have it easy. He had it even mm-hmm. tougher than most. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and, he, and he rose to the occasion. What
0: was a moment that
1: he really had a scratch and claw to get where he was? <laughs> oh, shoot. Every, <laughs> where wasn't there a moment? <laughs> every, every moment.
2: <laughs> I mean, literally, when he was a player, I mean, like, yeah. everything, like, for even for USF, you know how we got into USF as a scholarship? He wasn't going anywhere. He was gonna work at the post office. He had no offers from any school. And one of the guys, it was a lady and this other guy that wrote an article, he said, he asked dad, he said, was a sports writer. And he said, where are you going for college? And he goes, I, I'm going to work at the post office. I'm gonna get my mom off of welfare. And he said, you don't have any office? He goes, no. That guy said, read my paper next, uh, tomorrow. And that gentleman wrote in the paper, Casey Jones, he's getting offers from UCLA, USC. That and He put all these, you know, nobody was asking him, but he that guy put it in the paper. So then all these schools started calling dad. So he wasn't even going to be in college if it wasn't help from these people. And then after, again, when he was um, being drafted, and he didn't he have to, he had to sit behind Bob Cousy when he got to the Celtics. Bob Cousy said he felt bad about that. But I mean, he had to, you know and he
1: yeah Bob Cousy Cousy was like (laughs) he's Bob Cousy
2: yeah (laughs) you have to wait till he's finished wait yeah let him do his thing and do his thing and that's that he was even on the verge of being cut until he was you know had to show what he could do which was his his strategy of defense and then you know he had to get his opportunity for the Lakers San San Diego conquistadors and then the bullets and I was thinking he was going to be there longer than when he was but then there was all that issue of them thinking that Uncle Bernie Bickerstaff was doing the plays instead of dad. So they fired him for that. And there was a whole bunch. So every opportunity he had a scrape and, and claw for. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like we mentioned in the early part of the podcast, you talked about the collection <laughs> of your father, um, of different artifacts and mementos and you know, your favorite pieces of, of history. For for the listeners, you know what are your Twitter and Instagram accounts, and you know how often will you be? How often do you update these social media accounts?
2: Yeah, thank you so much. So my Twitter account is becoming underscore Brina, and um, and my Instagram is the same, becoming underscore Bryna, B R Y N A. And the reason why it's becoming Bryna, because I'm I'm trying to figure out who I was at the time. I was coming out of my depression. So that's why I'm becoming who I think I'm supposed to be, but um, I usually uh, post, try to post new content Mondays and Tuesdays of every week. I do, I do go to Towson University Online School, so I'm I'm kind of doing that at the same time now, but I try to point, uh, post new content Monday and Tuesdays, um, and then Thursday, like Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. And, um, like last week I did girl dad, I did all the pictures of us with dad. Cause a lot of people don't know he has four girls and two boys. And so I said, he's an awesome girl dad and how he got us, you know, connected. And so this week I'm going to post more of his, um, playing days <clears throat> of, of, when he was, a uh, players for the Celtics. The Instagram, I don't update as much. So Twitter is the one to follow. And I interact more with everybody on Twitter than I can on Instagram. And um, so, but those are my accounts.
0: What's the most well-received, you know, memento or whatever that you shared on social media um, of Casey Jones, the player?
2: The Thanos shot of me with dad's all-star rings. And it had uh, he has five rings, but we only had four at the time. And I I try to grab them from my sisters and then put them back in the storage uh, storage um, unit. But um, so I had all the the four rings and I had them on my hand like Thanos, and so people loved that. That <laughs> was their favorite one. But um, and, and all, also the eighty six ring, I I try to post the rings because again, a lot of people don't get to see them. So, so you know, Brianna, what's just. You know, what, what do you just kind of want to
0: continue to to work on with your social media accounts of promoting uh, your father? Like, is there anything that a goal of yours that you'd like to achieve?
2: Yes. So thank you again for asking that too. For uh, Casey and I, we want to do, we're, we're creating a, the Casey Jones foundation. And we started uh, talking about that a little bit last year when, when the Celtics so graciously gave us the Celtics shooting shirts of dad, the Celtics wore Casey Jones shooting shirts at a game like last February or something. In honor of dad, there were black shirts with Casey in green and his number in the clover. And so we asked for uh, one of our fans, Frosty Bias, asked for it on Twitter if he can buy one of those. And so Casey asked Jeff Twist, and Jeff Twist said, How many do you need? I said, Well, it's about 300 people on Twitter that want it. He goes, There you go. And they just gave it to us. And all the proceeds are going to uh, San Francisco, University of San Francisco. I'm going to be able to cut them the check finally. And so we asked for more again because more people wanted them. They gave us more shirts. So we want to, that was the beginning of the foundation forming. And we're working on a website for the foundation. Uh, and then going to have, they will have their own Twitter handles and their own Instagram. And that will be more professional. It'll be me handling it, but I'll have more um merchandise to share more stories and we're going to try we're working on a podcast um that we're trying to get cedric maxwell to (laughs) to um be part of he wants to be part of it so we're just trying to get that all uh settled so we'll have a lot more coming so follow me if anybody has any questions for casey or anybody in the family they can just uh tweet me or send it to instagram and we'll get the responses back out to you Mm
0: -hmm. that's that's amazing before you know we kind of end this what's and this is for both of you guys. What's one just lasting, you know, thought that you can just say about Casey Jones, the father,
2: and just Casey Jones, the coach and player? Awesome. The Casey Jones, the father, he was an awesome dad. He was just – he. there was no pressure ever coming from dad. He was never – we never – like when Casey said, he never took us to the, you know, go out there and play, you know, five hours today and go – he never did that. We never even had a hoop at our at our houses. No matter where we lived, we never had a basketball hoop. When I try to stay away from basketball, he gently encouraged me to play because I was six feet by the time I was in seventh grade. So I'm like 6'3 now, but so I was a tall kid. So he encouraged me, you know, try to play. And he coached me so well that I played from eighth grade to 10th grade. I went from a, a kid that couldn't play To starting in varsity, you know, so he's an awesome coach personally from that, but he was a, he was an awesome father, full of joy. He didn't transfer any of the pressure or hurts that he was going through in his business to us. So wonderful, a wonderful dad. And as a a player, his tenacious, his mind was strong as a a trap. His focus was uncanny. and um, and I think for me, that's why I look at players nowadays. If your mind is set, if you're not complaining to the ref every time you get a foul, forget that mess. You just go on and and start doing what you're supposed to do. And that's what I love Dad as a player. He didn't care. He just stayed focused of the end game is to win, period. And then, as a coach, he was a winner, just like Red Arbeck said he's a winner. He has a mindset of a winner. He's a, a excellent strategist. And again, calm under pressure he he was you you could never see him sweat he he just didn't have to he was he he was awesome
1: yeah i agree um uh his mental toughness that he had to have uh coming up against adversity um controversy or <laughs> adversity mm-hmm. um uh he he had to uh to go through a lot and if you think about it what he's playing he's he's guarding legends and and Titans like uh, Oscar Robertson and Jerry West. So he came up with this um, thing of matching your ego with their offensive ego. So you match a defensive ego with an offensive ego. That's the only way that you could sort of be on the same court and and not feel intimidated. And it was all a player's mindset. Uh, So taking that into coaching as well. And that's what helped them with having a winning mentality making sure that your team is ready to, to go out there and not just play, but play to win. And he was a great teacher. Uh, I agree with that. Um, he was very good on, on the links. He's a, he was a pretty good, decent, uh, well, he was almost a scratch mm-hmm. golfer. Mm-hmm. And of course I didn't know the first thing about golf and, and he mm-hmm. tried to help me with that. And anytime I go out there, he, he just break it down one by one for me, step by step. Uh, and, uh, cause he knew that I was, uh, I didn't really want to be out there. You don't want to be out there if you can't play. If you can't golf, and so he would get me out there and just say, "This, is how you do this. You do the next step." Uh, he uh, a lot of uh, a lot of folks uh, that that we got in contact with after his passing would tell us how he was that he did this for them mm-hmm. um, and very giving person. Uh, so we appreciated that. And as Brian mentioned, uh, he's uh, the best dad you can ever have. So whatever. Uh, You needed help with anything. Even if he wasn't there, he helped you out. Um, He was uh, very kind. He was very supportive. Something that uh, we will, we will never forget.
0: Really good words that you guys provided. So Bryna and Casey just so appreciative of you guys coming on and really sharing your story about your father, Casey Jones. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping a lot of my listeners can just really learn about, you know, who he was as a player, as a coach. And then, you know, as a man too, you know, thank you guys so much for coming on. And I just can't thank you guys enough.
2: Sure. It was our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for reaching out. And if you need anything else, we'll come back.
0: (laughs) I will. Thank you guys so much and have a great rest of your, your evening.
1: Thank you. You too. Thank you. Take care now.
0: Could it be you calling me down, 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 my foolish heart,